Jesse. Yes, Jesse, come on up. And uh, I think you have, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. If you want to flip through the slides, okay. that'll do it. That's great. Thank you. And uh, you can actually flip that on your shirt. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks um, for allowing me to be a part of your group here this morning. Especially thank you, Chris, for the invitation. Um, I've had the just the privilege of um, speaking here a few times in the past. Um, the most recent was um, uh, what about uh, two, two, three years BC. So uh, 2019 before COVID, right? Um, so that we, that was a special time. Uh, it was the last time I was here, and we were we were here also in, in 2018. So it's good to be back. Uh, good to be back in Kansas City. Um, so I actually grew up here, um, and um, was lived lived here until I was 25, and then moved moved to Alaska. So I was 18 years ago, and so you know my mom and dad and, and my sister. Um, so uh, yeah, so 18 years ago, I moved to uh, Alaska, and um, Absolutely loved it there. I met my wife, uh, Becky, and uh, we've been married for 15 years. And um, we've uh, had a, a number of different things that we did in Alaska. And I, I worked a career in telecom. And But uh, in the last five years, God has led us into full-time ministry. And so uh, he has led us to serve with a Missionary Aviation Repair Center in, uh, in a small town called Sadat, Alaska. It's a little bit south of Anchorage. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we do and and how we uh, fit into uh, transporting the gospel. So yeah, there's my family. Um, almost all of us are here. Um, my second son is in Sunday school, having a good time. So, all right. So before we we talk about uh, MARC here in detail, um, let's just recap uh, the Great Commission. <clears throat> what is the Great Commission? Uh, well, what is the gospel? First of all, let's start there. What's the gospel? Give me a shout out. What's the gospel? The good news. What what good news? The the Chiefs won? Is that is that, is that that's that's pretty good news, right? All right, what's the good news? Jesus died and rose again. Why did he do that? Because we needed it, right? We would be hopelessly lost, uh, right, without his um death and resurrection, his atonement for our sin. And so, okay, so now that we have accepted that, we're, we're followers of Christ, and what's, what's the commandment to those of us who follow Christ? Go and make disciples, right? Um, you, guys, you guys know all about that. And so, Great Commission is fairly simple. This guy over here, he knows Jesus. These guys over here, they don't. So what's got to happen? Got to go to him, right? Right? So that's pretty simple, okay? Um, and, you know, when you're here in person, that's pretty easy, right? You can just go to someone who's sitting right next to you, your, your friend down the street, or maybe your neighbor or whatever, somebody you work with. Um, but the gospel has to go from one person to another person. Um, how do you make a disciple? Well, you have to sort of be with that person, right? Um, you can't just really make a disciple on the other side of the earth. And, well, maybe now you can with Zoom, I don't know. but. Um, after COVID, we can do those kind of things, I guess. But okay, so that's the Great Commission. Uh, now, but sometimes there are obstacles, right? Okay, so this guy over here, he knows Jesus. These guys over here don't. Now there's something in the way. 
All right. Now, those obstacles can be uh, a number of different things, right? It can be a language obstacle or it can be a cultural obstacle. Um, uh, maybe it's a government that's an obstacle. Uh, I mean, you guys uh, have a lot of missionaries that you support who are going all over the world, right? You guys are headed out to Kenya. Uh, there's going to be some obstacles there, some cultural obstacles, maybe some language obstacles. My sister is going to Vietnam, certainly language and government obstacles. Uh, and sometimes there are just literal obstacles, like, uh, like a mountain uh, that's just sort of literally in your way. Uh, or maybe it's, maybe it's a river that you can't, can't get across. And so in Alaska, we have a lot of these physical obstacles. Um, and I'll talk about that here in a few minutes in a little more detail. Um, I guess I'll talk about it now. Okay, so um, in Alaska, so this is a map of Alaska. Uh, and we have uh, a highway system in Alaska that's very limited. Uh, it only covers a small portion of our state. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you can see, but you see the red lines over here. That, that's our highway network. So everywhere else, uh, it, you can't drive. Um, and so the only mode of transportation is, is flying. Uh, th there is some, some ways you can you know, take a boat, but it's not real practical. So flying is how we get around most of our state, get around those obstacles. So I want to give you a little sense of scale here. Now, how many of you know, uh, how many of you think that Alaska is down here with Hawaii on the map? Right? It's this little island down in the Pacific, right? I wish that were so. Um, so here's, here's just a little bit of a scale of Alaska kind of overlaid the lower 48. So you can kind of get a little bit of appreciation of, of how big it really is. Um, so it's, it's pretty easy to fly a thousand miles and stay within the state. Um, and even from one, one end to the other, it's like 2,500 miles. So it's, it's a big area. Um, in Alaska, there are, uh, let me just go back to this one here. You can see all these little dots over here. Um, these, these are villages. Okay. So there's um, a lot of people who live um, off the road system. Uh, most of them are Alaska natives. Um, a typical village might be three or 400 people. Um, some of them can be as small as 10 people. Some are as large as 5,000, but that three to 400 is pretty typical. And um, yeah, most of them are, are Alaska natives. And so there is a little bit of a, of a cultural uh, difference there. Um, we're, we're blessed that we don't have a language barrier. Everyone speaks English, so that's, that makes it easy. Okay, so this is where uh, missionary aviation comes into play. Now, there's a lot of mission aviation all around the world. Um, you may not be aware of um, Africa and uh, Indonesia or Southeast Asia have been um, really um, places where mission aviation is, has been very, um, has been existent for a long time. Okay, so there's, there's a lot of mission flying that happens there. And there's been mission flying that's been happening in Alaska since they invented the airplane. Um, before that, we had to use dog sleds. And um, that's, a, that's a long, cold way to get around the state. All right, so now this guy over here, he knows Jesus. These guys don't. And then, well, we'll just put them in an airplane. We'll fly them over there. And now they can share the good news and make disciples. So our ministry exists to help transport missionaries and pastors from the road system to these remote villages um, so they can help establish churches, 
so they can um, bring the good news so they can make disciples. So we transport, uh, I don't know what we do, thousands of people every year. Um, and we all, we actually fly in the summertime um, about 400 kids every summer to Bible camps. Um, so if you're if you're in Kansas City and you send your kids to Bible camp, you know, you put them on the bus and they go to camp. But in Alaska, there's no way to get from uh, a village to camp without flying. And so our airplanes will go around and um, we'll pick up kids and fly them into camp and they'll spend a week in camp and then we fly them home. So for a lot of these kids, um, they uh, grow up in very broken homes. Uh, very, most of them are very absent of the gospel in their homes. Um, a lot of them experience uh, abuse or neglect of some sort. And so for them to hear the good news at, at a Bible camp, that's the only time in the year, the only, the only time in the year that they'll actually get to hear about Jesus. And so that's really special for those guys. So uh, just a little bit about our ministry and how we fit in with that. What, what do we do? We have four areas of our ministry and we have uh, ministry flights, ministry maintenance, flight training, and logistics support. So I'll just kind of break that down a little bit. So ministry flights, I kind of talked about that already. Uh, we have a number of aircraft that we fly. We have very highly qualified flight crews. So how many of you have seen that show, Flying Wild Alaska, or any Alaska reality programs? Okay, so we've seen some Alaska reality programs. So guess what? Um, it's not real, okay, guys? It's it's not real. Uh, we, we are not um, constantly on the verge of calamity. Um, we're, we're not, we're not on the verge of starvation. We, we have grocery stores. Um, you know, we're, we're not, yeah. So we, we watched, you know, we just, uh, it's, just, it's embarrassing. Okay. Um, but when we fly, we fly like an airline, we wear uniforms, we have crews that are qualified to fly passenger jets. So we're not a, we're not a fly by night outfit. You know, we, um, we're very professional. And so we want people to know that they can put their kids on our airplane and they're going to be safe. Um, but we do that in a way that's, uh, we do all these things here safely, conveniently, not economically. So in Alaska, there's a pretty good commercial aviation network. So you can buy a ticket and you can fly to any of these villages. It's just really, really, really expensive. Uh, in fact, it almost costs more to fly within the state of Alaska than it does to fly like down here in the lower 48. There's no, you know, $99 deals on Southwest to fly you know, to Las Vegas or wherever they go. So um, what we do is we operate our aircraft um, at, or, or we offer our flights to our ministry partners at our cost. Um, and our cost is honestly about $1,000 an hour. And that's still pretty expensive. But by the time you put nine passengers on there and they need to fly where they need to go, we can operate about a quarter of the cost of a commercial flight. Um, a lot of the ways that we help them uh, save on those costs is, when our flight crew, we're carrying a, you know, some missionaries or whatever, we fly to a village, uh, our crews will stay with those, with our passengers. So if they need to be in that village for three or four days, our crews will stay there. The airplane will stay there. Because if we fly back with an empty airplane, we're burning $1,000 an hour in an empty airplane. And so that helps keep that cost really down. We also do uh, aircraft maintenance. And I'm, I'm going to show you some pictures here in a minute. So that's a lot more interesting looking at this thing. But uh, we do ministry maintenance. So there's a lot of pastors and missionaries have their own airplanes. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. When you guys go take your car to the shop, uh, you know, just how expensive is that when you get your car repaired, right? You, you know what it's like. You know, you go to get your, your blinker fixed and they say, oh, that's 800 bucks. And you're like, what? 
800 bucks for a blinker? That's ridiculous. Um, so, but aircraft maintenance is really, really, really expensive. And that's just how it is. Um, and so there's all these pastors and missionaries have their own airplanes. And so they come to us to get high quality maintenance, again, at that really reduced cost for them. Uh, so they can get it done right. They can get it done quickly and inexpensively. And that just helps them continue to do the, the ministry that they're doing. Um, and then uh, we have flight training. So we have a, a flight school that's uh, open to the public. So we get a lot of secular flight students that come through. That's just a really great ministry opportunity for those guys because you'll get a student will come in and they sit right next to that flight instructor for the next 40 or 50 flight hours. Well, guess what happens? They get discipled in one way or another. Uh, they, you know, some of them are, are, um, are already believers. Uh, some of them are not, but they get to hear the gospel through, through our flight instructors. So it's a way for us to kind of reach out to that local aviation community. All right. And then last is logistics support. Now, what does that mean? Okay. So when you guys need to go to Costco, what do you do? Yeah, you just get, I mean, it's so easy. It's just down the street, right? Get in the car and go. Okay, so now if you're a missionary family, and we have uh, about, I don't know, close to 30 missionary families that I know of that we directly work with. And these are families who live in these villages. They're planning churches and, um, and doing other activities in these, and so they live in these villages. So now when they need to go to Costco, the nearest Costco is, you know, 600 miles away. And so they can put it in an order online but we get to go pick it up. So we'll actually drive to Costco. We'll pick up a load and we'll fly it out. And, and it's not just Costco. It's just literally anything. Um, just last uh, a few months ago, um, they sent back a, a jacket. They had like a, a parka, down parka uh, that had a busted zipper. So they sent it back to us and we took it to a seamstress and they fixed the zipper and then we sent it back out. So it's like whatever they need, we're there to help them out. Another fun thing that we like to do is at Christmas time, um, we put together these totes of Christmas goodies that we fly to our uh, missionary families just as a way to encourage them. So we'll get a big old Christmas ham, you know, big old bone in ham um, and just uh, all kinds of things and fly those out to those people because they really are, are blessed by that. By the way, how many of you guys like eggs? Everybody likes eggs for breakfast, right? Everybody likes eggs. Well, that's a really a valuable commodity in rural Alaska. A lot of people don't get fresh eggs. And even that's something that I kind of take for granted. And so on one of these trips, we flew this toad out and we had this thing of eggs and this um, uh, missionary wife, she was just so excited to get fresh eggs. Like, oh, they're just eggs. I mean, they're like a dollar a dozen or whatever they are, but it was really special for, for them. All right. So I just want to show you some pictures now. We'll, 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 we'll get onto this. This is more interesting. Okay. So that's our airplane in the background. And these are some of the kids that were flying to Bible camp. And right behind us is, is one of the camps. Uh, so this is just a really special time for us in the summer. And actually, we just wrapped up because it's now into September. So camp flying season is over. Um, but that, um, oh, I'll, I'll show you. This is one of the kids that we're, we're flying. I mean, it's pretty sweet to see the kids in the airplane, you know, reading his little Bible. Um, okay, uh, so aircraft maintenance. So how many of you guys would like to take your airplane to these guys to get it fixed, right? They kind of look like they know what they're doing, right? Yeah. So I, I uh, enjoy flying our airplanes because I know that they're not, they're well maintained. This is a little bit of our uh, uh, maintenance, uh, ministry maintenance I was telling you about. This was a really special project here. So we had our um, 
So there's a director of a, one of the Bible camps that we serve. He's also a pilot. He also has an airplane. Now he's got a smaller airplane, so he's not really hauling kids with it, but he uses that airplane in the off season to go fly around these villages and connect with these kids during the off season. And so he comes to us for maintenance and uh, you, you guys will take some comfort in this. There's a lot of preventative maintenance that goes in the airplane. So when you go fly on a commercial airline, you can, you know, that thing has been picked over uh, very meticulously uh, for maintenance. And so that's what we do. So he came in with his airplane. We did an inspection and we found that, so the wing bolts up to the fuselage and one of the bolt holes um, had a micro fracture in it. Now I say micro fracture because you can't even see it with your own eyes. We use some instrumentation and we say, hey, this thing's got a crack. So how many of you want to fly in an airplane that has a wing with a cracked bolt hole? Right? Not a good idea, right? And so when that happens, that, that wing is just literally done. Like it's, that's it. It's no more wing. We're done. And there's nothing that can be done to repair it. It's just, it's just done. So now, okay, so now we have a problem. We have an airplane with one wing and those don't fly too well. Uh, so now we got to find another wing. And we looked down the lower 48 and they're very expensive um, to find a scrap wing. I mean, scrap like a used wing, right? It's not scrap, but uh, then to drive it up, I'm like, well, this is just going to be, this is going to be, we might as well just buy another airplane at that point. But we were really blessed in that we found two, uh, two wings in the state that were um, un, uh, damaged, slightly damaged. And between those two wings, we were able to create a new wing and refabricated a brand new wing. Um, and so this is that um, uh, director of one of the Bible camps, and this is his new airplane or his airplane with a new wing. Uh, and so that's something where we were able to do that just uh, very inexpensively. I think the whole project cost about $4,000. Um, where it might have been $40,000 if we had shipped one up from the lower 48. So um, that's just a really special way that we can help him continue to fly, to continue to do the mission that God has called him to do. So we're, we're all about helping other people do the, the mission that God has called them to do. Um, this is a fun little story. So this airplane right here, this is the airplane on floats. This gentleman right here is the director of a ministry, an aviation ministry in Brazil. And so it's not very often that someone from Alaska gets to help out a, a ministry from Brazil, but he works in the Amazon. Like I'm not, not, not the Amazon where you buy packages, you know, not that Amazon, like the actual Amazon, like the river. Okay, guys in Brazil. Okay. So that was the, that was the original Amazon. So it, there's this huge area, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of square miles of these rivers that just go way out into the jungle. And there's all these villages of, uh, people and a lot of them are in reach for the gospel and so that's what his mission is so now he needed to buy another airplane with floats and the nice thing about floats is you can land in a river right so you don't need a runway and so he actually found an airplane for sale in anchorage which was about 50 miles north of us and so he calls us up and he says hey I, i'm buying this airplane can you guys help me out get this airplane back down to to brazil i'm like well of course we will so we were able to go and he flew commercially up from brazil so we went up to the airport in Anchorage, the commercial airport. We picked him up, you know, we took him out to dinner and we went, picked up his airplane and he brought his airplane back to our hangar and, and we got it kind of ready for him. And then he flew it. Um, and we, one of our guys went with them. They flew it from our hangar in Alaska all the way down to Michigan. And then it got some additional uh, maintenance done in Michigan and it went down to Florida and it's still in Florida right now, but it eventually it's going to make its way down to Brazil. So 
kind of a cool way that we can, even in Alaska, we can have a part of what God is doing in the Amazon jungle. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, okay, so this is our, our flight school, uh, some of our instructors. So if you want to learn how to fly an airplane. Um, but one of the fun things that we can do with our flight school is um, these guys are students with uh, Liberty University. And they have a flight program uh, in Liberty. Uh, um, but uh, they don't have mountains. Uh, and so they come to Alaska in the summertime. And they spend about a week or two with us. And they get some mountain flying. Uh, so these are the future missionary aviators. And so it's a way that we can also help prepare students who may never end up serving in Alaska, but may serve somewhere else in the, in the world. So that's pretty cool. All right, so this is our flatbed truck. This is the Costco run, all right? And then we've got some sheets of, of metal that were needed for one of the missionaries for a building project, so. And then, um, a little bit of what I do. So I, I spend about half my time working in aviation, aviation directly uh, aviation related things and the other half my time working in IT. Uh, so I serve uh, MARC in that capacity. Um, but we also carry that forward as a ministry to other um, missions. And so this was a little project that I did for uh, Bible camp called Solid Rock Bible Camp. And you know they needed to kind of come into the 21st century. And so I was able to go in and help them uh, with some some new network equipment so they have you know better internet access and wi-fi and and all those sort of things so just uh, another way that we can continue uh, our ministry it doesn't even have to be in an airplane um, that we can bless these bible camps and help them to do what they need to do um, just by providing some some basic it support um, and then these are some of the um, missions that we support you may not be familiar with them but we work with tons and tons of other ministries in Alaska providing transportation for them. So um, the reason that we're here right now, my, my family and I, so at Mark, we serve on three-year terms and we've just completed our first three-year term and uh, we've actually started our next three-year term. But in between, we have an opportunity, uh, a four-month opportunity to go on a furlough trip or deputation as it's called. Um, I always thought deputation was an interesting term because I wanted to get a badge out of that. I don't know, de deputy, like, I don't know. Do I get it? Anyway, a star, do I get a star out of the, um, but uh, there's a lot of terms for that. But basically what that means is that we get to travel around and visit the people that are supporting our family um, and to connect with other folks and just kind of share what's going on in our ministry. And um, so we've actually driven down from Alaska and our, in our vehicle, we're pulling a camper trailer, and we're about halfway through a, a 12,000 mile circuit. So um, next week we head out to New York and then head out to, uh, after that, to Minnesota and Montana and back. So it's been a fun trip. Um, anyway, uh, so there's a lot of people that are involved in our ministry. Uh, you know, we, we have all kinds of folks. We've got mechanics and we've got pilots and we've got IT um, specialists and um, accountants and stuff, but the biggest group of people behind our ministry um, are right here, churches and individuals to support our ministry. And so uh, our family is blessed to be supported by a lot of individuals and churches. And we have 20 staff families uh, in our organization, and we're all supported individually um, by folks just like yourselves. And the reason that we do that, I mean, that's kind of common in, in for missionaries to do that, but the reason for us is that we can keep our costs really low that way um, because then we're not 
um, drawing a, a salary from MARC in the sense that they're not having to do business to support us. Um, and so that keeps our operational costs low and that allows us to offer those lights and that support at a very reduced cost uh, and to do that effectively. So, yeah, so that's kind of our biggest group of, of, of folks. And so I really feel like, you know, the people that support us and, and pray for us, they're very much, uh, or, or 100% a part of our ministry, even though you may be here and we're there. Uh, and the same for other ministry and missionaries you send from this church, you know, for my sister and, and others, um, you know, the, the church behind the missionaries is absolutely 100% a part of that. And it's, it's really a blessing to kind of go into the mission field and have that, that backing as well. So, um, but that's it. Um, so, um, if you, if you'd like to, um, get some more information or, you know, check us out on our, on our, uh, webpage, you can scan that with your phone and, and see a little bit more about what we do. Um, but uh, yeah, just thanks for the opportunity to share with you guys. And thank you, Chris. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Um, you guys know how to do that, right? Anybody need Mike or Scott or someone in IT to help you with that? Yeah, Christine, just scan that. You have my phone over there, right? Yeah, because here's the reality. Let's just do a little bit of review, okay? What are the two ways to get a prophet's reward according to what Jesus taught in Mark? What are the two ways to get a prophet's reward? Who remembers? Huh? Okay, yeah, you can. Okay, so the two ways are you can be a prophet. And then at the judgment seat, you get a prophet's reward, okay? But Jesus said there's another way to get a prophet's reward, and that is you support the prophet, okay? So let's just, I know we're in the church age. I'm not making a firm, hard doctrinal statement here, but, let's, but didn't Paul say, I desire that you give to me that you will have fruit that will abound to your account? So, so Paul, the missionary, said, you give to me and you'll get the reward that comes from my labors. Okay, so let's just apply this principle. So, what, what Jesse, what you guys do is you really support the missionaries. Logistically, all those different ways that you just described. So, there's two ways to get a missionary's reward. You can be the missionary or you can support. The, does that make sense? Okay, well, what about us as the churches and individuals involved? How can we get, is there any way I can get fruit from Jesse's labors? I mean, is that even possible spiritually? What would that paradigm look like? Pray, prepare, <laughs> give, and go. Okay. Yeah. How could, what could I do to get reward from Jesse's labors? What could I do? Support them how? Like, what do I do? Okay, I, I should be scanning that thing, right? Go, go back. Because if I can figure out who he is and what he does and how to support him, I could have fruit from his reward. I don't know anyone else in Alaska. I don't have any other connections in Alaska. If we want fruit from Alaska, you better scan that and get information regarding Jesse so we know 
how to pray and how to support. Now we do have some connections that, that makes it easy, but I'm just saying, you guys, aren't we studying in, in third John about hospitality to the traveling missionaries as they're going from here to there, right? This is it. This is what that is. Okay, grab your Bibles. We're going to spend a little time in the Word here. And and I think we're just going to close out in a bigger amount. I don't think we're going to do our small groups about that. <clears throat> uh, small groups today, so, so don't worry about that. It's an it's a off day. We're doing something a little different. We're taking a break from our hospitality series. <clears throat> And the reason why is Kenny asked me to preach in life fellowship and I did that. And as I prepared for that message, I couldn't just help think this is a living well message. And so turn with me to Psalm chapter 63, verse one. We're talking about our quiet times. Okay. So as we, as we look at some, maybe some biblical patterns or get some insights from scripture about quiet times in general, I would just say what ought to be going on in your mind is, well, what about my quiet time? You know, how consistent is my quiet time? How effective is my quiet time? Do I even know why I'm having a quiet time anyway? Right? So just be thinking about your quiet time as, as we get some insight into quiet times from Psalm chapter 63, verse one, which says, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. Go, go back. Then see, I don't just go to the first slide. Nope. You're going the wrong way. Okay. Right there, right there. Yeah, there we go. Now we're on track. Okay, so we're just going to work through this verse relatively quickly. You guys ready? Oh, God, thou art my God. You guys see that? Now, the my, that's what I want to look at, the my, because that's a personal pronoun. That means it makes it personal, not perfunctory. I'm not just going through the motions. When I have my quiet time, I'm actually meeting with my God. And, and that relationship, it's relational, it's not religious. And so I, maybe we could think about some of the relationships we have to get our head around this. All right, well, I, I have different relationships in my life. I'm a, I'm a father, okay? And I want to be a good father, just like you want to be a good mother or a good father or a good sister, brother, son, daughter, the different relationships. I, I want to do good at that, but I don't actually get great joy just by being good at something. No, I want to be a good father because I want to be a blessing. I want to please the Lord. All, but, but listen, it's not being a father or even being a good father that brings me joy. You know what brings me joy? It's being Kylie's father. And it's being Andrew's father. And it's being Braden's father and Jesse's father and Jonathan's father. It's being Josie and Ivy and George's grandfather. It's not that I'm a father. It's that I'm their father. And I have a relationship with them. I want to be a good husband. That would make your life better, right? Like, right? 
Like, I'm not a good husband every day, all day. No, I mean, I'm not Jesus, right? There's, but, but really, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a blessing from you to you. Okay, but let's say that, that I'm like a good husband. Okay, that doesn't necessarily bring me great joy. You know what brings me joy? Is that I'm your husband. Christine, what a woman, right? Happy birthday. What a godly, virtuous woman. Okay, but listen, you could look at Christine and say, oh, wife, what a virtuous, godly wife. You could, what you can't do is say, oh, my wife. Okay, it's not just the recognition that God is God. The God of the Bible says the theologian who doesn't know God and then just goes, he, he can describe God better than you and I can. Eh, sort of. He can say, oh God, but he can't say, my God. Listen, the, the, the psalm that's talking about the quiet time starts with, oh God, but then it goes right to, thou art my God. And listen, I want to be a good father, but more than that, I just want to be a father to my kids. I want to be in a relationship with them. I want to spend what? Here, what's the parenting thing? What's the husband? It's quality time. I need quality time with my kids and quality time with my, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not on my phone, I'm not watching TV. I'm just spending time with the people I love because they're my people. Okay. Oh God, thou art my God. And here's the first blank, our our. our Quiet times need to be quality time. It's personal, not perfunctory, not going through the motions. It's relationship. It's not religion. Oh, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. So let's look at that early. That word early, it just means, it just means early, right? But it's, it's also translated as morning or dawn. It's like actually early in the day, okay? Early in the day. So that's in the morning. And so there's a picture displayed here that we don't want to miss. If we look down in Psalm 63, verse 6, when I remember thee, David says to the Lord, upon my bed, that's at night, meditate on thee in the night, watches. So this early, this is the dawning, this is the new day. The, so think about the watch. You're on watch at night. There's four watches. Okay, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. is first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight is second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. is third watch. And then that 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., that's the fourth watch. It's just so dark. And the night's been so long. And you had to work like third and fourth watch because you got in trouble. And, and you're like, there, you're on the wall. Or maybe you're walking around the city and you're just on guard and it's like, oh, is that sun ever going to come up? Is the new day ever going to get here? I remember camping one time and I was so unprepared and so cold. I'm just like, oh, is the sun ever going to come? Like sleeping on the ground. Like it was just I was completely unprepared. It's just so dark, so cold. I just couldn't wait. And then finally those, those rays of the sun come up and, don't you know his mercies are new every morning? And that picture of that sunrise is there for us. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it's the son of righteousness that arrives, speaking of Christ's return at his second advent. 
You know, in Proverbs chapter eight, flip over to Proverbs eight. I want to I want to flesh out this picture a little bit more before we move on. Verses one through three. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places by the way in the places of the past. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in of the door. So here's wisdom personified speaking forth to the children, to, 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 to mankind, okay, at the gate, at the entering in of the city. Go to the end of that. Go, go, to, go to verse 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. There's a watching and a waiting. The night watch, the waiting. Imagine somebody and, and the gates of the city are closed and you're standing at the gates waiting for the new day to start, the gates to open. There's That's the picture. And, and we're waiting there for the son of righteousness to arise. For Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. When to that you take, that you do well, that you take heed as a light that shineth in the dark place. Okay, what? Until the day dawn, until the day star arise in your hearts. Don't miss that picture. We have a more sure word that shines like a light in the darkness. And until the day dawns, until Christ returns, we have this light. So here's the 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 thing we're all subject to some degree to the darkness of this world's doubts and fears and oppression discouragement frustrations you fill in the blank <clears throat> but i'll tell you what that's the physical picture of the sun rising is a picture of the spiritual reality that god who is light illuminates for us and so listen maybe Okay, so I, I do. I start my quiet time in the dark, okay? And that's, that's what it's like for me. And, and then, but I've got the window that faces the east, and I've got my blinds set. And my blinds are at an angle so my neighbors can't see me. But yet when the sun rises in the east, and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm literally facing east, and that sun rises up those rays come through that window and they find my open bible and they find me sitting there with an open bible and i can't i just got to tell you that does something for me because sometimes i start my quiet time lonely dark lonely but then by the time the sun rises by the time i've spent time in the word of God being illuminated, that's been, the, the darkness has been dispelled. Sometimes I'm discouraged or sometimes whatever, oppression. And it's just like dark, like you deal with darkness. We all do, but every day that sun rises and his mercies are new and God who is light can be found on the pages of his word. Okay, so. Psalm 80, verse 18. Listen to this. So we will not go back from thee. Quicken us. That is, revive us. Quicken us. Make us alive. And we will call upon thy name. 
Turn us again, O Lord of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. You know God's a little shiny, right? He's light. Moses went up to the top of the mountain, right? He spent time with God. When he came back down, people were like, you're too shiny. Put on a veil because we can't stand how bright you are. What happened? Did he get sunburned up there? Was it the physical sun at the altitude? He didn't put it on sunscreen? No, he spent time with God who was light. And so don't miss the picture. That morning, that new day, that sun rising, Christ is going to return. You guys, don't, don't despair. Don't be too discouraged. Christ is coming back. But in the meantime, day by day, we have this picture, the dawning of the day, and, and you want to be found in your quiet time, getting what we need from the Lord. Revive us again. And our quiet times need to be, this is our next blank, it needs to be a quickening time. Reviving. It should be refreshing. The verse continues, oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And listen, we are a teaching church. You guys notice that, right? Okay, we're a teaching church. We know the Bible is the word of God. We know it's the pathway of blessing. We love this book. We love to study this book like the psalmist. I love thy precepts. I, you know, it's true. It's God's word. But listen, just like a theologian can know about God without knowing God, a scholar can know all about the Bible and not seek after God through the pages of Scripture. And if, just let me ask you this question. If your quiet time is not you seeking after God, then what exactly is it? Like, what, what are you doing? Oh, God, thou art my God, early will I read through the Bible in a year. Oh, God, thou art my God, early will I seek my own personal gain. I found the pathway to... Oh, God, thou art my God, early, this, here's one for me, early will I put together a sermon. We, I should put together sermons. You should read through the Bible. But listen, that's not what your quiet time is for. Oh God, thou art my God, and early will I do my D2 homework. <laughs> early will I perform a religious duty out of guilt in religion. No, God forbid. You guys, early will I... Seek thee, seek to connect with the very creator of the world, the God of the Bible. Seek him. You personally connecting with God through Christ, go boldly to the throne of grace and find him. He is not far. Here's the problem. It's not that he's far. To the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, here's the, here's the message. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. But you know what? To those that don't seek him, that don't open the door, he might as well be a million miles away. So here's number four. Our quiet time needs to be a quest time. And the quest, the quest is to find him, that I may win Christ, Paul said, to be found in Christ, to know Christ, and everything else is dung. So it's a quest it's, it's a 
time of questing or questy time. Okay, there's only so many keywords. It's it's a it's it's a quest. Okay. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. And here's a key to this thing. Okay. Now sometimes we we can misunderstand our maybe our our needs. For example, like I can misinterpret a signal, like maybe I'm having chest pain, but I don't feel it in my chest. I feel it in my left arm or I feel it in my jaw. Well, that's weird. Well, yeah, like the nerves that go to the heart also go over there. And sometimes your brain misinterprets the, the message. Okay. So if you have like left arm or jaw pain and like, especially women, like you might want to go get that checked out. Don't just, <laughs> could be a heart attack. Okay. Sometimes when I'm thirsty, my body doesn't send me the message, water. It sends me the message, chocolate. Anyone else? Anyone else get a sweet tooth when you get a little dry in the evening? Man, what I really need is another bowl of frosted mini wheats or ice cream. It's like, just water. When I carry a bottle of water with me all day, I don't get the sweet tooth. Weird, huh? When I drink the water. Okay, so listen to this. My soul thirsteth for thee. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. All things are passed away and all things are become new. And part of your new nature is now that your soul thirsts for God. But sometimes that thirst gets misinterpreted and you think my soul thirsteth for the Rings of Power episode coming out on Friday. My soul thirsteth for that new car, that new, you know, Chinese takeout, whatever, like fill in the blank sometimes. Okay. Listen to these verses in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. What could be so bad that God would actually like curse his people to be desolate? Like, like what in the world? Here it is. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern would be like I would dig, literally dig a hole in the world, in the, in the ground, in the earth. And I line it with clay or whatever. I mean, I would do concrete now. I'm sure they've got things. But anyway, you're digging a hole to hold water so that you don't have to go back to the river to get water. Like, God says, I am the fountain of living waters. That's how he describes himself. And the people have done two evils. One, they've forsaken the fountain. And two, they've dug them out their own cisterns. My soul thirsteth for thee. And a cistern isn't going to satisfy it, you guys. It's only God that satisfies. Now, my quiet time. Why am I seeking out? my God in my quiet time because he's the only thing that satisfies my soul and it's him. It's not what he can do for me. It's not what he gives me. 
It's actually God himself in a relationship with him. And as I draw near to him, all of a sudden, I'm not needy. I'm not thirsty anymore. So you've been to Cheesecake Factory? So you walk into Cheesecake Factory and you're hungry, like, like you let yourself get hungry to really enjoy the meal. You're going along that right side and there's all those cheesecakes. It's like, Cheesecake Factory, hello. <laughs> so here's how it goes in my mind. It's like I'm trying to justify 50 bucks for a cheesecake. Like, can I talk Christine into us taking like that strawberry one home? And then you walk by, we go to our table and you overeat because you always do when you go. Okay. And then on your way out, you're taking the same path on the way out and you're like, cheesecake. Ah, no. Ah, mm, I'm stuffed. I don't want a cheesecake anymore. What happened? Did you all of a sudden develop willpower to overcome the temptation in the flesh? What happened? You got full. You're not hungry anymore. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Okay, some of you that deal with addiction, listen to me. Quit in your willpower trying to overcome yourself and fill up with the one thing that satisfies your soul in your quiet time. And you will leave your quiet time not hungry. And all the cheesecakes, so to speak, that you struggle with will no longer look appealing. You know, uh, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work and just like do that. Okay. Okay. Here's the, here's the point I'm trying to make. So you can understand this. Okay. Being satisfied gives us great liberty to overcome temptation. It gives us great liberty. The devil can't get his hooks in us because we are actually needy people. Our souls actually thirst. But if, if we enter our day and we don't get satisfied from the fountain, of living water, then all of a sudden, all these other things, I'm going to have to struggle with trying to find satisfaction in the world because the world, the devil, and the flesh are all trying to sell me cistern. The devil is a cistern salesman, and we fall for it. We buy cisterns. Meanwhile, the, the, the fountainhead, the, 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 the river of living water goes untasted. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and your quiet time needs to be seeking after him okay here's here's number five our quiet time needs to be a quenching time personal not perfunctory delight not duty the verse finishes up like this my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is so it's a dry land and that speaks to the world in which we live it will never satisfy even though it promises to but it's also a thirsty land. Isn't that weird? 
So it's dry. That speaks to the nature of the world. It's thirsty. That speaks to the nature of you and me. Okay. I don't want to be thirsty in a dry land. I long for satisfaction in my soul, but but the, there is no satisfaction in this world. Remember the two evils? One is they forsook God as the source, but the other one is they went to, they, they were digging cisterns for themselves. Okay. What we need to understand from this portion of this verse is the world is a dry and thirsty land. So you guys watched Matrix, right? Matrix one. Okay. The others, I'm like, what did you do to this movie? Okay. But in Matrix one, Neo, which means new, he's kissed by the Trinity and he has this new life now where he's like born again and all the attachments of the, like the, whatever those, who are the bad guys? Just the machine machines. Okay, now all of a sudden they're like, Do you want to see the world as it really is? He's like, Yeah. And then they they like show him the world as it really is. And it's this gray, brown, post-apocalyptic, barren wasteland. That's what this verse shows us. Like, remove the matrix of the enemy trying to tell you that this world is a source of satisfaction from you. Now, listen, you've been born again, and you look at this world, and you realize it's a dry and thirsty land. I'm no longer going to go to it to find satisfaction for my soul. It isn't a source of satisfaction anymore. It is now a mission field. So, but what about my poor soul? Okay, it's thirsty. But the reason you're struggling because you've been going to the world for satisfaction. So what about your quiet time? Is it a personal encounter with God through his word and prayer to the satisfying of your soul? If not, let's make it that. Oh, my goodness. So, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am crucified unto the world, Paul says in Galatians 6.14. All right, so listen. Oh, God, thou art my God. It's personal. Early in the morning, to get refreshed and revived for my day, will I seek thee because it, it's a personal encounter with God, not a perfunctory religious duty. My soul thirsteth for thee, so I will find my satisfaction in God, not in the dry and thirsty land. So I separate unto God, but I separate unto the world. Okay, praise the Lord. I do that. It I'm, 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 takes me a few days of, of consistent quiet time to really, you know, maybe prime the pump and, and connect with God in a way. But then I finally do that. And now I leave my quiet time and I'm not needy anymore. And I, well, now what? Now what? Okay. Now I'm going to enter into this dry and thirsty land. And so here's the last part of it is that I need to ready myself to go out into this because this dry and thirsty land is your mission field. 
Paul in Ephesians 1 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Well, which is it, Paul? Are you talking to people who are in Christ or people who are at Ephesus? Are they seated in heavenly places or are they out in the in the in, in the city of Ephesus? Like, which is it? Well, of course, they're both. So you are the saints currently here in Kansas City. But you're also in Christ. You're also seated in heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And so, woo, you connected with God. You stepped outside of time and space to interact with him as you approached his throne of grace. Where's his throne of grace? You went there this morning. You escaped. You, you, you had your escape. You don't need Netflix because you had your escape from this world in your quiet time and you connected with God. You are in Christ, praise the Lord, but you're also at Ephesus. You're also in Kansas City. And now as you prepare to go out into the world, which is your mission field, you better just like, okay, quiet yourself a little bit because we want to abide with him over the course of the day. And you know your day is going to bring drama disappointments, discouragements. You know you're going to get mistreated. Okay, well, what are you going to do? React in your flesh? Step out from under the shadow of his wing because you didn't get your way? Because your expectations were met? You thought it was going to be easy and it was hard, and then all of a sudden, now what? Listen, we can't be reactive in the flesh and abide in the place that we entered into into our quiet time. So our quiet time needs to be, and here's the last blank, it needs to be quenching. I'm sorry, quieting. It needs to be a quieting time where I just, listen, I, you know, the, 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 the ocean is quiet when it's not stormy and the waves aren't breaking and the winds blow. No, 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 it's just quiet. It's still, it's calm. So I need to end my quiet time. Having drawn near to God, having drank, my soul is satisfied. Now I want to prepare myself. Okay, listen, I can't stay here holed up in a monastery. I actually have to go outside these four walls and I need to interact with people in a world which is spiritually and, and emotionally for me a dry and thirsty land. Okay. I'm gonna, I, I've drawn near to him. Now I need to stay near. I abide under the shadow of his wing. That means when I get mistreated, I don't respond in kind. I stay in that place. That's me carrying a water bottle with me all day and just continuing to drink from it. Make sense? So we, so here's, here's maybe an example of a Bible-based quiet time that we can look at. Um, and, and you could get different models of this. Nehemiah chapter 9 gives us a model. The the structure of the tabernacle gives us a model, but let's just, we'll skip over those. So go ahead, Dempsey, and skip past the next two slides. Go to the next one. Okay, so here's just a pattern. It's an example. We don't want to formalize this or, or make it like too structured to where this is where you have to do it. I'm not teaching that, but I'm just giving an example. So it needs to be daily, waiting daily at his gates. And so our quiet time needs to be daily. Early will I seek him. So it needs to be first thing at the beginning of your day. I like 6 a.m. You know why I like 6 a.m.? 5.30? Start 5.30. Yeah, I actually start at 5. But I like 6 as like a, an official quiet. I can't get my quiet time done in an hour. Like it's, I'm too slow. So 
But at 6 a.m., you're going to see the sunrise most of the year during your quiet time. I like 6 a.m. for most people there. Now, what about the place? You want to find a private, quiet, a secret garden place. Like secret, like a garden has walls, like you've prepared and protected and you're ready to meet with God in this place. Okay, so you want a time and you want a place where you're going to get alone and meet with God and you've protected that. So, you know, mommies, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You're like, I don't know. But, but that's, that's what you want. Here's, here's what I do. Let's go to the next one. Okay, can you guys see this? This is my office. So, well, we just painted. So I, we got all the bookcases out and everything. So, but, but this was, we built this, the walls and, and there was no window. Okay. It's like, well, I have to have a window. I got to watch that sunrise in the East over my open Bible. So we put in the, we, we like put in the window. And then this is my time. That's my quiet place, my quiet time. And it's a place I can go. It's in the basement. No one else is going to go down there at five or six in the morning. I just have this little getaway with God every single day where I can seek him. I mean, I, not you can't just maybe put in a window that faces east, but, you know, we did. Just find, do what you can to find a way to have a time and place where you're getting away with God. Okay, so here's a model that you might want to follow. Start with prayers and praise. Enter his presence with prayers of confession and praise for access. So just spend time thanking God for who he is. We, we man, Christ gave me access to the Father. I, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Man, if, if I can just find something to confess, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to pray and think through and draw near to him. You can use the, the tabernacle as a model. You've got the altar and the washing labor right there. Like, like. Okay, number two, pursuit. Seek God through his revealed word following a daily Bible reading schedule. It's amazing if you just read the Bible every day, God will meet you where you're at. Okay, but you need to be consistent with that. Otherwise, you're just playing Bible roulette and you just don't know. Is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me or am I just seeing stuff? So daily Bible reading schedule. Pursue God through it, though. Don't just be a theologian or try to be awesome. You're using the word to pursue God himself. And then prayers and praise responsively. So what he showed me, I want to respond to that. I want to interact. I want to thank him. I want to praise him. So, so that and then finally preparation. Ready yourself to stay centered within the shadow of his wing as you enter into the day. Is there one more slide there, Dempsey? Let's see. So this would just be an example. Like if you, if you had one hour to do your quiet time, this is something you could do. Enter his presence, 15 minutes, seek his face through the pages of scripture for half an hour, pray in response to what he showed you for 15 minutes, and then just take five minutes. Before you pack up, just take five minutes. You know you're going to be challenged. To abide with him but you're prepared you're not thirsty those cheesecakes like they don't even look good anymore right you guys got this we're out of time i love you guys i i had a message prepared out of third john but it's like we're the living well class out of john chapter four how can we not just rem 
be reminded of this. We need to do this a few times a year just to remind what this is all about. So Father, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Glosser family. God, and we got Rachel here and she's an Ong now, but she came up and Lord, now they're like, the Glossers are got kids all over the world serving you and missions and church planning. Thank you for the for godly families like that. And we pray for Jesse and his family, Lord, and would you bless them? Lord, would you use them? And Lord, would you give us wisdom to figure out how to partner with them, to support them? God, not, not just so we can have, you know, fruit from their labors, but God, there's kids in Alaska who are, you know, they're growing up without God. And Lord, we're, we're not okay with that. So Lord, we just pray for souls. And, and Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing for all of us. God, we want to repent of a quiet time that has turned into just a going through the motions. God, we want to repent if we've turned it into something other than seeking you. And God, we just, we don't just want to recognize you as the God of the Bible. We want to be able to say, God, thou art my God. And early will I seek thee. So, Father, from the overflow of our lives, would, would you use us, Lord, to reach others? We love you. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.